Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. All of us have fallen short. We all have sinned. When we find ourselves stuck in sin with seemingly no way out, where does our help come from? Follow along in Psalm 51 as J.J. Bunny takes us through the life of David to find the answer. We hope you enjoy this message. As we look at this theme of hope, we've been looking at hope in the midst of different circumstances in our life. We've looked at hope in suffering, hope in sickness and healing, um, and other things as well. But today, today I want to zone in on the idea of hope in our sin, something that I know all of you can relate to because we all have sin in our lives. And when you're in these moments of sin, it's hard to feel like you really have any hope because sin can get you so down in such a deep place where it feels like there's no coming back. And I think it's very clear that sin is a very real thing and is a very, very prominent thing in our world right now. I think even by the circumstances this week at Tanglewood Middle, that's easy to see. And... When I think of these tragedies and school shootings and these kind of things, it it breaks my heart. And I think of one in particular um, called the Charleston Massacre, um, which happened in 2015. And if you don't know this story, and it happened on June 17th, 2015, in Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, and nine Nine African-American men and women were shot and killed um, by a white man who they accepted openly into their Bible study. And he sat with them in their Bible study, and um, at the end, he opened fire. And this kind of hatred and racism and sin that's so prominent in our world is, is hard to wrestle with when we know we have a God who is good. How are we supposed to believe that our God is good when there's so much of this sin in the world? I'm sure you've asked yourself this question. And this is a hard thing to wrestle with, but we know as we look at this hate, we can see that it isn't just one circumstance, one day. It's, It's built up. That That man didn't just walk in there one day and decide to do this hateful act, he, it had been a buildup of sin. Maybe it started with a thought or maybe it started with someone saying something to him that he thought was wrong or rude. And then it built into this deep resentment and hatred for this whole entire people group. And we see that a lot of our sin is like this. I'm sure you've been in these same circumstances where you have sin in your life that started as just one block put on the ground and then another and another and another until your tower is this tall and it can no longer balance on its own and you reach a breaking point in which you find yourself doing things that you never wanted to. I think sin does this. Sin trains us to take the next step and it be okay. And if you've been there, don't, don't be burdened because we all have. And one, one person in particular in the Bible who was there very clearly is King David in the Old Testament. 
I'm sure many of you know David. David was a very prominent king in Israel. Um, he had everything at his fingertips, everything at his disposal, but even he had deep sin in his life. And with all of this at his fingertips, it still wasn't enough for him, and he decided to take another man's wife as his own. And when it started to come out that this might be revealed to the public, that people might find out that he did this, he then killed her husband. And so we find David in this really, really deep place of sin, and he's covering it up, and he doesn't he isn't even acknowledging it. And then a prophet named Nathan comes to him and says, he tells a parable of a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man took, or the rich man had everything that he could have wanted and he took the only thing the poor man had. And David built up with anger said, that man should be killed. That man deserves nothing from the Lord. And Nathan said, you are that man. And so we find David in this very deep place of conviction and sin, a deep place of lament in Psalm 51. So that's where we're gonna be today. In Psalm 51, one through 12. So you can open up there if you have your paper Bibles. I'll continue Dallas's um, advertisement. Keep bringing your paper Bibles. Um, they're great. There's something about just having the word of God in front of you. Um, but if you don't have it, we will have it up on the screens for you today. So let's look at how David, in this deep place of sin, in this place where he has been called out and he feels convicted, let's look at how David responds here. Verse one, it says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Okay, so let's stop right there for a second. So we see in this first half, it's obviously a prayer to God. This, this is obviously a prayer, but there's a specific posture behind this and it's a prayer of lament. Does anybody know what lament means? JB. Sadness. Sadness, yes. So he's expressing a deep emotion of being burdened, being sad over his sin. Um, brokenhearted even would be a good way to describe it. So he is describing this here. And in these first six verses, we, it seems to be a pretty, pretty very dark posture taken, um, talking about the severity of his sin. So we see he, he uses language like wash me thoroughly, implying that he is dirty of heart. He says, done what is evil in your sight. Um, he says blame, that God should be blameless in his judgment because of David's iniquities. In, he says, in sin did my mother conceive me. His very, he has been sinful since his very birth. Like he's just expressing this posture of deep, deep sin within his life and how this has taken him over. I um, mean, he's acknowledging that. And I think that's something we can learn from 
Because when we are in these places of sin, I think it's important to remember that the first step is to confess and repent. And I, and I think that's what David is doing right here. He's confessing and repenting before he asks something of God. He's confessing and repenting what he has done. He knows the punishment he deserves. He knows that he has done wrong. Um, but then he continues with a little bit of a different posture in the next six verses. So let's continue. Verse seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and, sh- and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So what we see right here is David kind of switched postures. He's still in this lamentful tone that he, we were speaking about earlier, this deep sadness over his sin. But he's now talking in a way that's less about the severity of his sin and more about the expectancy of what he knows, of how he knows God will heal him. He uses language like, I shall be clean. I shall be whiter than snow. I shall be whiter than snow. Me hear joy and gladness, rejoice, a clean heart, right spirit, joy of your salvation. It is no longer this prayer of, I know I deserve judgment. You are blameless in that, Lord. It says, Lord, I, instead he's more saying, Lord, I know you will make me clean. I know you will bring me to a point where I'm whiter than snow. I know you will give me joy and gladness. I know you will give me a clean heart. And so, After we repent and confess of our sin, I think it's important to know right here that how David is expressing, we must ask for God to change us. Because we can't change ourselves on our own. We're not that capable. We, We obviously have failed in the past and we can't completely rely on how we've responded to our sin to heal us because we know that we respond to our sin very poorly a lot of the time. But right here, David is giving, the, giving a perfect example of how we should beg for God to change us, beg for God to give us a clean heart that we know we don't have. And this hope that David seems to be expressing in the last six verses almost doesn't make sense because he just described in the first six verses how severe and dark his sin was. And now he seems to have this posture of, he says, rejoice, joy, and gladness. I shall be whiter than snow. It, it's almost a brighter, brighter posture. And it, this kind of hope doesn't really make sense because we know that this was in the Old Testament. They did not yet have the new covenant, um, but he still knew the character of God. And he still had seen God heal him time and time again. And so he knew that God would do it again. But for us, we see this Bible narrative continue. And far after David and far before us, we actually see the New Testament is written. And it gives us this new covenant that we get to take part in through Jesus. So let us flip to Romans 5, 1 through 2. Yes, Romans 5, 1 through 2. 
And we'll, we're gonna read that in just a second. Um, once again, this is how we can rejoice. How can we have this hope that David seems to have? Um, we can actually have hope far greater than what David had um, because of what God has done for us. So let's read. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So first, first what I want to point out is Paul is writing this letter and He's using such rich language of stuff we have been given. So let's look at what, we, what this text says we are, who this text says we are. It says, we are justified by faith. We are at peace with God. We are, we are recipients of grace. Can I get that slide, please? We are recipients of grace. We are we are hopeful in the glory of God. This passage says that we are all of these things and we have been given all of these things through Jesus. But see, that's, that's the key phrase right there is that this kind of hope doesn't come outside of what God has given us and that is Jesus. And so what I want you to hear this morning, it's, it's not anything profound. If you've been in church for a long time, you've heard it before. Even if you haven't been around church, like, this is a, a pretty common phrase, but I can offer you nothing better than telling you that if you want hope in your sin, Jesus is that hope. Jesus is our hope in our sin. Because just as David was expressing in Psalm 51, we, we were dirty and Jesus can make us clean. We are broken and Jesus can mend us. We are deserving of wrath and Jesus makes us recipients of grace. We are separated from God and Jesus makes us draw close to God. We are at war with God and Jesus brings us to peace with God. We are in danger and Jesus makes us safe because Jesus was willing to take the price that we should have paid. Our sin deserves judgment. Our sin deserves death. That's what we see David expressing in this psalm. But then we look at Romans and we see this richness that we have obtained all of these things through Jesus, through faith in Jesus. And if, if you haven't made that decision, if you haven't believed in Jesus or decided to have a relationship with him, um, and you're hearing this, and th this sounds like something that you want. You want hope in your sin. You want hope in your life. You want freedom. Then I would highly recommend, like, grab a small group leader after the service. Grab me or Dallas or Brentley or whoever you can find, um, and we'd be happy to talk to you um, about what that looks like and um, what that looks like for your life. And... If you have made this decision and you're hearing this again and you're like, okay, yeah, Jesus is our hope and our sin. I've heard that before. Like, I would just encourage you, use this as a reminder that this hope in our sin exists every day and not just the day you made that decision five years ago. Like, this hope is what we can rest on every day because we are hopeless outside of it. 
We are hopeless without Jesus, so we need to remember that Jesus is our hope. In the Charleston 9 shooting, they, after, after the shooting happened, um, they interviewed the, the perpetrator, um, the guy who committed the crime, and he continued to be passive throughout the whole process, and he continued to just express complete apathy, um, a posture of just not caring. And they even found a journal from him that said, it says, this is a quote from his journal, it said, I would like to make it clear, crystal clear, I do not regret what I did. I am not sorry, I have not shed a tear for the innocent people I killed. That is the kind of hate that doesn't deserve forgiveness. But a couple weeks later, they had the court hearing in which they, the family members of the victims um, were given the opportunity to make statements um, to this guy. This guy was um, like zoomed in to the meeting through, um, through a computer. And so we could hear them um, and he, the family member was allowed to come forward and make statements. And instead of responding with anger in which you would expect them to, especially after he makes, says the things he did, and said, especially after he said the things he did after the shooting happened, he actually responded quite in the opposite way. I'm going to read a few of their statements. One said, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. Another said, I acknowledge that I am very angry, but one thing that to pain, that, that being the victim, always enjoined in our family is she taught me that we are the family that love built. We have no room for hating, so we have to forgive. I pray God on your soul. That is the kind of forgiveness that doesn't make sense. Because in no way did that guy deserve forgiveness. In no way was he even asking for it. But they offered it freely because they know that they didn't deserve forgiveness in everything they have done. And yet they have received it abundantly through Jesus Christ. This is the hope that we have. A hope that doesn't make sense. A hope that we don't deserve but we can rest assured that we are forgiven through faith in Jesus. And that's a beautiful truth. Jesus is our hope and our sin. Believe that and you will be free. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for um, your good news. 
Um, I pray that you continue to remind us of this truth that we are washed um, and we are made clean by you um, because of what your son has done for us. I pray that you, um, if you are prompting any hearts in this room, that they would not be afraid to um, grab a small group leader after or um, someone to talk to um, and just be able to express what they're feeling. And Lord, finally, I just, I just pray for the sin in this world. Um, I pray that you would rest upon the families of Tanglewood Middle Tragedy this week um, and that you would just continue to bring healing um, to this world um, as we need it so clearly. In your name we pray. Amen.